Welcome to episode 48 Q&A Basketball. It's been a few weeks, so thanks for joining us. We'll jump on with a few questions. So Simon, you're going to be first cab off the rank. Go ahead, Simon. Yeah, g'day, Bogues. G'day, Pro. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Just heard stories of like Tim Duncan giving advice to rookies and stuff when they're on the court, or a large one, I think he was doing it to Shaq. Do you recall any times that you, as a rookie, just got advice from opponents and... Did you ever give advice to young fellas um, when you were playing against them? Oh, yeah, not really, man. Um, I didn't really. Uh, I mean, maybe some some veterans on my own team, but not – I mean, I was kind of more in the era where that really wasn't um, emphasized, you know. I think it's a bit more – kind of makes the media now and people talk about it a whole lot more. But to be honest, like especially me being, you know, number one pick and whatever, everyone was just trying to kick my ass. So, I didn't get a whole lot of that. Everyone's different. I mean, you see it a whole lot more. I mean, pro, I don't know. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. I don't know if it's happening more these days just because it's publicized um, or if it really is. I, I would I would assume it is just because I think some of those old school guys always wanted that edge. But as far as like young guys, like if I was if I was to play against Jock Landau, for instance, I'd definitely try to help him just because I'm friends with him and I know him. Um, but it'd be probably more you know post game than it would be during the game because I'm I'm trying to beat him and he's trying to beat me. So, Pro, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, with Kobe, Kobe never. Like, it was funny how Kobe was at the end of his career and post career, like of helping people, working out with people, working out players and stuff. I've had countless players ask me when I was working for him to work out with Kobe and he would say, fuck no, ever. I will never work out with anybody. You know, that's that I'm totally against it. And like you said, I think that old school mentality of, I don't think everybody was like that. I think you had some guys that were special that sort of gave advice, but not many, uh, not many. You know, I didn't see it in Dallas really as far as opponents. I saw, you know, I saw Vince Carter trying to give advice. JJ Barea tried to give advice. You know, Zaza Pachulia gave a lot of advice to Dwight Powell on defense, but I never really seen it as far as opponents. Like, you know, everybody wants to be friends with each other. So they take all these videos working out with each other and stuff. But I'll tell you what, like, like Bogue said, the error when he played, I don't think that was as, you know, as prevalent as it is today. Yeah, I guess it's discussed as more of a feel-good story. What a great guy, you know. He's um, he's given some pointers, but I, everyone's different. I think it's 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 you know the NBA today and basketball in general. It's all about clout and clicks, and you know trying to portray being someone that you're not a lot of a lot of times. Um, but look, as far as you know, if, if a young guy is a rookie, makes a good move on you. I've, I've said stuff like, "Damn man, good move!" Like he got me on that one. But as far as like, hey, you would have got by me if you just did this, uh, and then. You know, the next play down, the guy goes by you and scores on you. It's like I'm not giving. I'm not. I'm trying to keep that edge of whatever I know. And, and like I said, if it's post game and it's someone that I like, I, I might say, "Hey, man, you, like I was, I was able to do this to you. I was able to do that to you. You should try to do this." But um, it is an interesting question, and I think it's changing a lot. And I think now a lot of guys now being mic'd up and and having having one camera follow them around for a whole game at times. I think um, we're seeing a little, a little bit more of that, and I think guys are cognizant of of being mic'd up and bringing something interesting. I mean, Pro and I have had these discussions of when guys are mic'd up, 
their personality is completely different to when they're not and that's 99% NBA players like completely different there's guys that are almost mutes that don't say shit during training or games that you put a microphone on them and they know they're mic'd up all of a sudden they're the most talkative person in the world and they're encouraging guys and so you know it does change a little bit but um that's just you know the 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 NBA is a production like Hollywood more often than not, and that's what you got what you kind of dealing with. So thanks for that question. Go on to the next one, Chris. G'day guys, and um, same thing. Happy New Year to you both. Hope you both had a um, had a good break and um, all re- rest and recharged. Um, just got a couple of questions. Um, probably the first one that I've sort of noticed over the last couple of seasons is probably what's both your thoughts on um, the eighty two game season. I suppose like you know, do you think it's too much? Do you think there should be less, or do you think it's the way it is um i mean i personally think it's fine the way it is it's the way it's always been but you sort of hear it mentioned more and more you know there should be less games and not just in nba but like in afl like they're talking about potentially having less games playing less minutes um i suppose i just want to know your thoughts on that and then also probably more from again from both your point of view andrew you said you met the only person you've sort of really been starstruck from was michael jordan um I suppose, how was it meeting him and did you have much of a chance to talk to him? What did you talk about? And was he, you know, I suppose pretty, it was pretty, like, was he good to talk to or did you not get much of an opportunity? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, the 82 game thing is is interesting just from the point of view of what do you do? I mean, um, that there's, there's not a whole lot that you can really change right now because salaries come into, into play. TV money is the big one. Um, they They pay based on... 82 games plus playoffs plus preseason. So there's a lot that would have to change for them to, 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 to really, um, I guess, I doubt they'll ever go less. I mean, we've got in the run sheet for the podcast a little bit later. There's that, that $1 million prize pool now per player for the winning team of an in-game tournament that they're floating. So they're aware of, of, of trying to change things up a little bit, but – I mean, I think you need the games. You need, you know, in, in the market the US is in with baseball and hockey competing probably with, with, with the same amount. Of, I mean, baseball's double the amount of games and hockey's roughly the same as the NBA. I think um, football's the outlier, right? They play one game a week. And there's a lot of hype in that game and, and they actually draw more eyeballs doing that. But I think the NBA definitely can't can't take a backward step games wise and and no matter no matter how many games you have there's always going to be teams manipulating it for rest and minutes and like you said AFL you know people complaining about minutes and load I mean if you had 50 games there'd be teams resting guys you know 10 games out of those 50 at times strategically so I don't think that's going to change I think um it's just I think there is a lot of games that don't matter, especially towards – it's more towards the end of that season. Like you look right now, like are you going to go to a Detroit versus OKC game in January, February and, and get your money's worth? Probably not. It's probably not a game you want to go to because the, the, the wins and losses don't matter. They're both doing janky things with lineups. They're trying to develop. They're potentially tanking. So that's where I think it gets messy. But the 82 games are fine if it's – I guess that's why they've made it a 10-game, you know, playing playoffs um, to try and keep two or three more teams engaged rather than going to tank mode pro. What are your thoughts around around the 82-game mark? I'm totally for a shorter season, obviously, because more of the games don't matter. And, but you just have a big percentage of the games that don't matter. Let's be honest. It doesn't matter how many games you shorten it up. But you have to look at it realistically. You know, financially, the players would have to take pay cuts and – the salaries would have to go down because remember, everything, the whole salary structure of the whole league is basketball-related income. Like all the money from ticket sales and TV revenue and jersey sales, blah, 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 
go in a one pot. 50% go to players, 50, uh, 50% go to owners. Basically, 50% of the ownership stuff um, is basically, you know, it, it's more for the players. So 50% of what the players get is divide their share is divided up by 30, and that's what your salary cap is. So if you play less games, it's less, less revenue coming into the league. And ref, less revenue coming into the league means shorter, you know, less contracts, you know, because you can't spend. The mid-level exception goes down. The average salary goes down. So I just can't do it. I just can't see it done logically. Um, I'm, I think it's too many games. But, you know, like Bogue said, I think they'd manipulate it. And, um, but I, I just think that you can't do it. Financially, the, the league can't do it. Now, you know, just because it's all money, it's all based on money. And I, I just can't see it going down from the 82-game structure they got now. Yeah, then you factor in betting, you factor in um, international league pass and league pass, you, you know, streams over in China, whatever it is, there's, there's, a, there's a big ramifications with less games. I'll be interested to see if they, if they do pass this in-game tournament, what that looks like, how many more games that is, and if that actually, you know, makes makes the regular season games less if they say, all right, we're only going to do 70 regular, regular season games because we're adding 10 here or, or whether they keep the 82 the same. The other problem with the 82 changing, and we've seen it in the NBL over the last 20, 30 years, is when the number of games change per season, you know, the record holder stuff changes immensely. So now if you go to a 60-game season, it's like no one's ever catching Steph Curry's three-point record. <laughs> like that, that's going to stay forever. You know, um, minutes played, rebounds, like some of the stats, you know, Abdul-Jabbar's leading, leading the, the all-time leading scorer, like that's never going to get you know, even challenged if you go to a lesser game. So, and we've seen that in the NBL with um, 48 minutes now to 40 minutes. And th- there are some seasons back in the 90s and, and 2000s that had more than 28, 30 games. So, that that can change things as well when you start debating, you know, all-time greats and all-time numbers. That goes out the window. Then then you're all of a sudden, you're starting you're starting fresh. And that's interesting. And then just, just to round off, um, yeah, meeting MJ, I mean, ob- obviously for me, he's, he's the greatest basketball player ever and was kind of, I grew up, in, uh, you know, I'm a 90s. 80s 90s baby so um, my teenage adolescence was in the 90s and it was MJ everything was MJ everything you watched was was Michael Jordan um, hate didn't didn't like baseball at all but you, you kind of even had an eye on the baseball when he went there for a season you know so meeting him wasn't you know it wasn't the best setting to meet him I met him I met him at a um, a jump man uh, all star party so I think it was my my rookie year I was at the rookie sophomore game and he had um, he has an event at every all star game where they they basically you know have all the people that are sponsored by Jordan. And I got an invite to go there because um, I was a Nike athlete and and basically saw MJ and had a chat to him for a couple of minutes. And I just remember how big the dude's hands were. That's all I remember. I was like, he's, yeah. he's a guard and his hands were twice the size of mine. So he was he, he was fine. Like it was, we had a quick chat and he said he followed my college career and was a fan and all that kind of stuff. And that was kind of shut me out pretty quickly that Michael Jordan even knew who I was. Um, but yeah, it wasn't really the right setting to, to sit down and have some drinks, anything like that. It was um, loud music playing in the background, all kinds of shit going on, bro. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, Jordan was the guy for me that, you know, I was starstruck with, and I'm not starstruck by many people at all. It, it was a surreal to sort of meet him. I worked his camp out in Santa Barbara, California, and he's around all the time. Uh, he's around in the morning, you know, afternoon and night, like he's around about two hour block. And um, he's pretty, he's pretty interesting, dude. I'll tell you, like, you could tell he's hardened over the hardened over the years, as far as like people asking him for things and stuff. So anytime you like somebody doesn't really know goes up, he's probably assuming that they're going to ask him for something, picture, autograph, whatever. So when I went up to him, I was like, "Hey, 
MJ, do you mind if we talk footwork? And he goes, footwear? So like, I was like, oh, fuck, this guy thinks I want shoes. I go, no, 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 footwork. And I'll tell you what, that fucking guy, like, and he's a guy that keeps it moving. Like, he doesn't really carry many conversations with people. He always keeps it moving. And he sat there, with, like, stood there with me for, like, 10 minutes, demonstrating, talking. Like, he's, uh, it was it was pretty cool to sort of talk, talk shop with him over the years about feet and offense and things like that and talk about players and stuff he, he was he was pretty cool the only guy closest to that bogues is the day president obama got elected um he had a game in chicago that he he brought in like 50 people and played at the attack center with grover you know, our facility in chicago and getting a chance to see a proud like i've never been that close to a president he was about to get sworn in that night and um i thought that was pretty cool just to sort of see him in uh in that in that environment whatever but yeah mj you know everybody's you know if you grew up in the 80s and 90s it's yeah i i can't see anybody else really you know having that impact on you like he did he's pretty pretty cool guy yeah no doubt no doubt a lot of people would have him on top of the list all right jf we're gonna move on to you next question unmute and fire away yo folks uh pro what's up by the way loving the timeline andrew just you know I'm a bit of a tennis fan, and what a fucking shit show uh, is going on. <laughs> it is. I'm just. Uh, it is. It's just like your Twitter line is so like sad and funny. I'm here in Canada; it's just as bad. But uh, luckily, we have the U.S. border to bring some sanity to us. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, he's got the. Um, for those not familiar, Djokovic got into the country, got got granted permits, and then the country took him away because of public backlash around uh, vaccination status and whatnot. But uh, there's a there's a big um, live streamed, I believe, court hearing tomorrow, which will give us the answer of whether he can he's allowed to stay and grace grace our shores. So anyway, move on to your basketball. What's your uh, prediction, anyways, about tomorrow? Oh, I don't I don't trust anything being not corrupt in this country at this point. Um, uh, yeah, I, you know, really. It's a grain of salt, so I, I wouldn't. I would not be surprised if they see him back, just based on public backlash and media pressure. But I am a glass half, half full guy, pro nose, so I don't. I just don't believe anything that's common sense is going to come out common sense. Yeah, I'd, I'd bet on uh, your perspective as well. So I'm kind of curious. Uh, you know, you guys were. I think your interview with Jock Wandale was really interesting, and you kind of mentioned he was just playing hoops and getting recruited by uh, that college uh, St. Mary's, Mary's. Yep. Uh, and I'm just curious about your you know uh, experience uh, playing pickup like you're a seven foot tall dude uh, you're obviously famous now like how does that even work like when you go into gyms what's the kind of response do you still play my response I guess around pickup I, I was never a fan of, of just pick up pick up just to play even even when i was a pro i wasn't a fan of just showing up to a gym with no structure and just playing and, and the main reason for that was because it just it just at least in the u.s here too in australia to be honest with you it just becomes a one-on-one -on -one game with whoever just made the last shot gets an iso the next possession until they stop missing and it's not it's not really pure basketball it's 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 a bit of conditioning running up and down you know quote unquote getting your work in and i wasn't a huge fan of of, of playing pickup for that reason i'd rather play like maybe two on two or three on three in the off season or some one-on-one -on -one. but the five on five stuff to me I, I think there's there's better use of your your off season training and time and then you know, like today, I don't, I don't, I don't play. I mean, I haven't played, I haven't played five and five since I retired, um, and I doubt I will. Like, I'm not, I'm not going up and down right now and putting the body through that because I haven't done it in so long. But I, I anticipate one day I will get back out there and just try to, you know, just 
work up a, a bit of a sweat, but um, yeah, the the whole the, the open gym stuff, just not a, not a fan of it, and it doesn't really. I'm not a. I mean, early on in my career, I was probably more predicated towards being able to go one on one, but. Um, mid to late career, I was much more, uh, my strengths were much more aligned to team basketball and read and react and all that kind of stuff, which you you do maybe 1% of the time, you know, in pickup basketball pro. What are, what are your thoughts around pickup? It used to be pretty good depending on where you played. Like with Grover, we'd have all our clients work out like on the basketball court with me and then work, work out in the weight room with him. And then they would come back at like one o'clock to play pickup. We had NBA referees. Um, guys sort of took it serious. The games were really good, probably until the end of the summer when guys started going back to their teams and the t- then the games didn't were, wasn't as good. But like we would have 18, 20 NBA guys in the gym ready to really compete. You know, like you know Jawan Howard, Michael Finley, guys like that, Bobby Simmons, Dwayne Wade, and um, Sean Marion, Andre Iguodala, guys like that. And the games were really good. And but like we had like score clocks and shot clocks and. You know, like I said, three referees working the games, and um, it was really good. But then you go to other places now, you know, UCLA and some other runs. The, the runs are just like ISO after ISO after ISO. The games aren't very good, and um, yeah, I just don't know. Like you go, you go for the you know run up and down. A lot of the teams go to you know California now, you know, so they play pickup. And well, before COVID, they would <clears throat> they would send their whole team down. T would work out in the morning and then play at UCLA in the afternoon just for a team bonding deal. So they would all be, all be on the same court together and things like that. That's pretty cool. But like the games today, like you, like you said, you, know, you pointed out earlier, it's just you don't really get much out of it because it's just ISO, ISO, ISO. Everybody's just trying to do, you know, it's like NBA game on steroids. Like, you know, we're just guys just launching up shots and there's really no structure to it. And yeah, I'm not really a huge fan of it. it. You know, I just don't think there are enough guys who take it serious to want to get a high a high level run. But um, yeah, I'm just not a huge fan of it these days. I think if you play like if you work out, play one on one against guys that really want to compete, you know, that's not bad. Maybe some two on two if you count it, three on three if you're lucky. But the five on five stuff, it's just like everybody's a friend fest and everybody's. You know, it's not really – I don't know if you get much out of it, to be honest with you, like you used to. Like those UCLA runs back in the day with, like, Magic Johnson and Reggie Miller and James Worthy and, you know, Mark Jackson, Chris Mullen, guys like that. I mean, those games are really good, you know, back – you know, because those guys competed and, and, and it meant something. I don't think it means as much – you know, I think it's just showing up and, you know, yeah, you have your photographer that, you know, comes and takes pictures of you for your Instagram account and stuff like that it just becomes less and less about really getting better and more about you know let's be honest folks like these days development in the united states for nba players and even high school and college it's all trainer driven anyway it's all individual offense it's all getting up shots it's not really learning how to play playing structure situation and that's why our skill levels at an all-time high and our basketball iqs at an all-time low you know across the board and, and I think that's a big reason because these they don't really play anymore anyway. And then when they do, it's just – it's a friend fest in my opinion. That's just my my observation. Yeah, it, it, it can build bad habits as well playing too much pickup in the offseason, especially where it's that free-flowing, just you know, no real, no real kind of discipline about 
you know, fundamentals or technique and that kind of stuff. So, I think it has its, you know, I know a lot of guys would use it to try new moves like, you know, that they worked on in the off-season. They might be maybe, you know, stretching out to three. They might be working on pull-ups off the dribble and, and you know, a lot of guys would work on that in the off-season and then try to use it in the pickup game. So, that's, there's another aspect that it's not not unique to their strengths. But the other thing in pickups is if you've got guys that are just um, junkyard dog types, they usually dominate those games, which is always hilarious to watch. Like guys that are just all effort guys on an NBA roster like a you know Quincy AC was probably an example I remember when I was in Dallas when I came in and watching the you know being involved in the scrimmages he was just dominating because he just he he could only he only played one way and that was 110 percent and if you come in with 110 percent effort in those scrimmages you're going to have 40 and 40 and, and he would he looked like the MVP every day in the scrimmages because he was just given 100 percent effort whereas guys were maybe coming off rehab stuff guys are coasting back into you know i'm gonna, I'm gonna give about 70 80 percent and you got a guy going 110 it's glaring how how much they dominate so um yeah i mean i'm not a not a huge fan i think time and place a little bit bit but I, like pro said i'd rather get my work in skill wise and maybe do some two on two three on three maybe every now and then you get a run in i think guys you know smart trainers will break it up a little bit where you you don't want to be doing individuals every day for five months in the off season or four months in the off season because it comes with monotonous in a way so i think sometimes it's just good to just be like okay go and go and just have some fun and play some five on five but on the flip side you don't you don't want to be doing that shit every day because you will bad, build uh bad habits all right james G'day, Andrew, and g'day, Pro. Just a question about um, Andrew Wiggins, the Gold State Warriors. I feel like he's come in and he's really, like, he was got traded and then he's sort of turned himself around and being involved in the culture of Golden State. But the question is, who uh, sets the culture of the organisation, the front office, coaches or players? Um, every, every team's kind of different. I think the, the best cultures that I've been a part of, I've been on record saying this, is is culture driven by players. When you, when you have players that first and foremost know where they're at in their career, so they know, hey, this is me, this is my strength, this is what I need to do to help my team win. You've got young guys that bring the energy. You've got role players that understand their role, and obviously it helps to have a Steph Curry and Clay Thompson on the squad. But Wiggins has been really, really good. Um, you know, he, he let's not forget he's a max player. So I think the bar was was set very, very high. He was on some really bad teams in Minnesota where I think that culture was probably a culture shock for him. The guys, from what I understand that I've spoken to, love him. They think he's he's a great guy in the locker room. He comes in, he works hard. He, he's not a bad guy whatsoever and they really enjoy his professionalism. And I, I think he kind of got a bit of a bad rap just because of that max deal in Minnesota. Whereas now he's, just, I think it just seems like he's just playing. He's just fitting in. He's, he's a pretty good defender for him. Um, he's starting to make some good shots. He's got a bit of athleticism for him on that wing as well. And I'm going to be interested to see how how he you know he's he's fringe all-star right now i know they're really pushing him to be in that team and, and based on golden state's record they might get they might get three in there maybe he could be that third point flip in my opinion but interested to see with clay coming back if he continues you know the role and run and minutes that he he has um had so far this season but I, I like him i think he fits in well and it just goes to show you you know sometimes culture and fit can make a big difference on kind of the way you're playing and i haven't looked at the numbers but off the top of my head i would assume his numbers probably aren't aren't glaringly any different than they were in minnesota but he looks like a much different player and they're winning games so yeah to answer your question you know it's said a lot by the players management 
play their part. They, I guess, provide the framework. Like here's a framework of what, what, who we are, what we want to do. These are the, these are the things that are non-negotiables. You show up late, it's fine. You, you don't get your work in. We're going to ask you questions. Why? Get your, get your weight room stuff in. Get your rehab stuff in. Whatever it is, they set the framework, and then the players, when the team teams that have the players that police it. And, and keep it in house. They're they're generally the best teams. If it gets to a point where management has to come in and be like, "Hey, we're finding you because you did X Y Z," or coach has to rah rah every other day, those teams are going to suck over the course of eighty two games just because it's, it just becomes it becomes like babe, glorified babysitting, and those teams never do very very well long term. They'll have they'll have ebbs and flows. Whereas teams where it's you know self managed and guys are like, "Nah, man, that's bullshit." We call it out. You put your hand up and say, yep, I screwed up. And then we get on with life. They're, they're the best teams to be a part of pro. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, I think that the you said, you know, the, the front office coach and staff, what have you. I think it's more coach and staff. Well, the, I think the, the front office picks the players. So they got to do the best job that they can bringing in people that, you know, will really work hard, will try to be coachable to the best of their ability and, you know, you're not going to be perfect all the time, but obviously they're the first layer of it. Now it's the coaching staff that has to sort of deal with them every day. They have to be the ones that <clears throat> put, you know, keep people accountable, hold them accountable on a daily basis. Front office really doesn't have much to do with that. You know, where you know you have to make sure people are on time, doing what they got to do, being coachable, doing the right things. But it, it, in reality, the players are the ones that really set the tone because. <clears throat> the players are the ones that are going to figure out, are we going to really play for this guy? Are we going to listen to him? Are we going to act accordingly? You know, if they don't, I, there's nothing you can do. I don't care about your fines are nothing. You, know, you can only find players so much money and it's not really going to be that much, especially to the max players. So they got to really police it. And they're the ones that really push the culture of things. You know, with Wiggins, I think Wiggins is doing very well. I, I think Wiggins is great in this role of being that second or third guy. I think that being the first, uh, best player in a team really doesn't fit him, in my opinion. I could be wrong, but I've been watching him for a while. I thought he was going to be like a Joe Johnson type when he came into the league. He could really score. He could isolate. He was an athlete. Um, I think he's really good at like being that guy that he could play off Steph. Now he could play off Draymond a little bit. He could play off of, you know, Clay when he comes back. And I think that he could really, really be more of an efficient player, a more of an efficient scorer. You know, you could really get maximize his potential being in the role that he, he you know, he's in. And, you know, there's, there's going to be out of an 82-game schedule, there's going to be 10, 12 games where he's going to carry you. And I think the other games, he'll just be solid. And I think that's all you want from him is consistency. And I think throughout his career, he hasn't really been a consistent player. He's put up good numbers, not great. And like, you know, in huge games and huge situations, he wasn't really one to rise to the occasion. Now he doesn't have to have that on a daily basis. So he could really dominate in his little role that he had, not little, but his sort of a little bit of a reduced role. And that's not a knock on him at all. I think he's a really good player. He's a borderline all-star. I think he's like your second or third best player, and he could really do well for you. But I just don't think I don't think he's that marquee player, you know, a top 20 player, top 15 guy. But I think he's somebody who could really, like I said, carry the mail for you 10, 12 games a year where he's, he's, he looks like a, a max player. And then the rest of the time, he could be that consistent player when he's playing off of Steph and Draymond and, you know, and, and Clay when he's back. Yeah, an underrated move, I think, for Golden State. You know, a lot of people didn't 
really understand it, but I think Wiggins is a much better fit for that unit than D'Angelo Russell was. So I think it was, Ooh. yeah, it's yeah. just a, a, a somewhat a discussion that's been swept under the rug. No one's really mentioned, I think, the Warriors and Bob Myers to do that, where when, when you first saw it, it's like, oh, does it move the needle for any team that much? Probably not. But I think from a culture point of view, I think they realize, shit, like we need to get someone who fits in better with, with Steph, Clay, and Draymond and what we're trying to do here. And I think um, with, with the salary they had to eat of D'Angelo Russell's, I think, Getting Wiggins back was was a good move. All right, cupcakes, O'Callaghan. Let's see if we can get you on. Man, I got the damn hands of Anders Biendrich every time I try to <laughs> unmute myself and hang up on this. What's up, fellas? What's going on? Hey, um, I was listening to this interview that Patty Mills did with uh, friend Frischilla a couple weeks back, and mm-hmm. Mills was talking about the the indigenous uh, basketball league that he was starting up down there, which seems which seems like a pretty cool and worthwhile, you know, deal on a lot of levels. And it kind of got me thinking about um, how, like, the seeds, like basketball seeds are planted in any given community, like at a grassroots level, and how you never know, you know, 30, 40, 50 years down the line what that looks like. Um, Your boy Strauss has written about, like, China. You know, China is, you could say, is dead or dying from just a talent perspective um, where other places are flourishing. And, I'm wondering, like, where would you guys, if you could plant any seed, any, any, you know, in any fertile basketball ground, just from a develop players, develop national team, high level players, where are you going? And let's say to keep it interesting, um, Africa's off the table because NBA Africa has is, is already got its thing going there. Well, what's left? I mean, you got NBA Europe, you got, uh, you know, Asia, and you got Australia, really, right? I mean, um, is, is, well, that is that it? Unless you go on Antarctica or something. <laughs> um well you know what i i it, it got me thinking and oh boy like, this is fucking dangerous <laughs> well yeah it's, it always is it always so like one out of six samoan dudes plays in the nfl or some ratio like that like uh-huh. so so tongan samoan polynesian like i would say the game's changed like maybe 10 15 years ago uh but now with the way centers are smaller you know, like you look at Zion, like first time I saw Zion, I thought he was like a Tongan nose guard, you know, Chuck mm-hmm. Hayes. I feel like I feel like there's a lot of natural uh, athletic potential in the South Pacific. It's closer to you. What do you think? Maybe, but I mean, body type plays a big part, you know, as you just mentioned, you know, Tongan, Samoans, uh, even Maoris to an extent, Islanders, um, quote unquote, much more gravity challenged and but big strong physical but not not very long right you know that their, their, their physiques aren't historically aren't aren't long and gangly which you'd require for basketball so i think that's the problem but can do some damage uh, do you know who pero cameron is oh yeah the the, uh the kiwi from back yeah. in the day right so he was yeah. pero cameron for those that don't know was a beast because he was the size of a you know a brick shit house of you know he was man like a big big dude rugby player type body had real good touch but short arms like short limbed but just big dude and all he would do they'd run kind of princeton type action with him at the top of the paint he'd just be lighting people up in 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 kind of chin cuts and flex cuts and as soon as you'd help off because you'd have to help because he was so big to get around you, you know the guy guarding him would have to bump a cutter for a second he'd just pop and shoot a three so yeah there is but uh, as far as development look there's still some parts of europe that just don't have probably the amount of money or infrastructure or funding probably similar to nba africa why we're seeing such a push there that just don't have those facilities to actually get kids that are very talented to put them in 
organized structure to, to maybe take that next step and develop young guys individually into into being you know the best in their city or country or maybe going over to college or, or the NBA and, and Europe and, and Africa are probably the two where there's just there's so much potential there you look at what Europe does with the facilities um, that they have accessible it's unbelievable you know some of the facilities they have there aren't, aren't great by any means and they continue to develop so you look at then what the facilities that the US has compared to that or even Australia, they punch above their weight when you when you factor that in. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I, I, I probably, I don't think there's anywhere left really. I mean, you know, you said NBA Africa. It's just like, where where, do you, where else do you go? I mean, I think the world- Well, so I got, I got a couple for you. And pro, I'd be curious to hear, even within Europe, like uh, you look at the tallest, you know, obviously uh, your folk in the Balkans are among the tallest, but then like all of those Norse dudes- uh, uh, Sweden, Nordic, Denmark, yeah. all of those Viking kind of like, you know, they're all, I was even do. I was even, uh, just as a joke. Cause like all of my Irish family, I was thinking like, what does basketball even look like in Ireland? Like all of my Irish family are the opposite size and shape you would want in a basketball player. And, uh, and, but I, I, I flipped on one of those games, dude. Like, I think they were, they were in Cyprus and, uh, surprising taller than you there's a couple do a couple like mark worthington like you know could maybe be uh nbl players i think but the thing that's interesting about ireland too is like you can be an irish citizen if you're if your great grandparent it's not that far back so like all the american if we're just talking just national teams like pat Connaughton, mcconnell all those dudes could play for ireland and and uh but yeah, I think there's still, I mean, it takes time too, right? You know, 20, 30 years. I mean, you know, Australia, look at Australia 40 years ago. Exactly. And that's the thing, like Australia, like, man, we had, Luke Longley was the the lone ranger that had a had a long career. I think he played 10 years and he, he had a long career and he was the only guy that really did it for, for a long amount of time where, you know, now we've got, you know, 10, 15 guys over the last 10 years that have, have actually, you know, had a career for more than two or three years in there. So, it comes down to that. It comes down to guys like myself and then Ben coming in and then Patty and Joey and different journeys that haven't all been textbook like, you know, some of those guys weren't drafted. Some of them were. Some of them were high picks. So, I, I guess giving kids the opportunity to see that you can make it regardless, I think more and more people come down the pipeline. But I think the world is just so accessible now that to, to find that, that new untapped city or, or talent i think is, is is probably gonna be hard to do but um and that's for people everywhere and that's the other thing you figure out like no matter how how small a, a culture or nationality is there's always going to be outliers and there's going to be some you know look at, look, you look at yao ming you know like you know not the prototypical kind of size and weight of an asian um or, or a chinese player and just an absolute huge human being so there's outliers pro and i guess where would one one place be pro that you think's untapped anywhere left I don't really think so, Bogues, to be honest. I mean, you, you get some of those things that, you know, Cupcakes mentioned and what have you, but it, it's unbelievable with the Chinese thing, though, that they haven't really been able to get that off the ground. I mean, there's so many big guys. There's, there's so many. Their facilities are not as good as the United States, but, I mean, it's it's pretty close. It, it, it's 70%, you know. Like their practice facilities, all these facilities they have all over the country, all over the continent of Asia is, is number crazy. one sport by far, right? And and the, the the amount of money they spend, you're you're right. Like China should be way further than they are. Like they they inject a I, lot of fucking money in basketball. I, I was in a global Nike meeting back in like '07. George Raveling, who was who ran Nike basketball at the time, was like, "I just got back from China. 
I, um, their government basically mandated there's 100,000 villages uh, or cities, towns, and villages across China. And they want to put a basketball hoop in every one of them, you know, to make sure that that's the number one sport. They're putting all this money, all this funding. I just think it's like anything else, Bogues, when you're talking about government of anywhere. I just think like all that money, I, I think that it just gets the politics that get involved in actually like what the product's going to be, being organized, like having who's going to run it and the pop balance of power with that. And you don't get the right people involved in the actual development. Like, you know, and, and I've been over there a bunch, like camps for Nike for like <coughs> 10 years. And there is talent for sure. But I just think that like the physical, first of all, like strength and conditioning, that's a big struggle. Um, the physicality <laughs> of the game, they struggle with. But like the skill level is very good. Like there are players that are in the top level of their country that are pretty good, that are, that are NBA prospects for sure. But I think it's like dealing with the physicality of it. And it's a different type of culture over there, obviously. And I think that there's so many. I forgot how many seven-footers they said there was in that country. It was something astonishing. Uh, I, I want to say 100,000, but I, I could be wrong. But they said it, it was a big number. I remember when I was told, I was like, what the fuck? Like, there's a lot of talent over there. And I, I just think, like, the coaching struggles over there. I don't think the coaching is very good. That's why that most of these Chinese teams have American consultants consulting in development and consulting, you know, in the, in, in the coaching part of it. And I think that if the money was relegated in the right spot and you brought in the right group of 30 coaches, 40 coaches – in strength, in basketball, in development, that they would have made a much bigger jump in the last 20 years or so like they wanted to. But just like anything else, I think it all gets fucked up because the money fucks it up, the government, all this stuff, like the not the government, but the, t the politics of it, I think it, it really diminishes what they were trying to do. Yeah, I think so. And they were, they were close, like really, really close. So the, the mid, so what, 2004? Four, five, six to about ten. As Yao Ming was was in his prime and kind of phasing out, that E1 Lian had a couple of players coming through. It looked like it was one or two was, was going to get there, and it was sputtering, and then then it fell flat again. And now they're now they're at a position where they're they're back to square one, considering. But um, yeah, it's it's, inter it's interesting just considering that you know if Australia had one iota of that funding put towards basketball, I think we'd be doing much much better. But that's a story for another day. Anyway, that wraps up episode forty eight of our Q and A. Appreciate everyone joining us again. We will now jump onto our podcast, and we will see you all next week. Later, guys. <laughs>